again, everybody, and uh, welcome back to Search, Ponder, and Pray. Um, it's a podcast where we study the, uh, kind of loosely study the Come Follow Me schedule handed out by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we strive to find applications for it in our daily lives and how what the Lord is trying to tell each of us. Um, I encourage you to um, talk about the the podcast to others simply for the fact that um, if you discuss these things and the come follow me with friends and family, you are more likely to find applications in your personal lives easier that way. Um, and discussing it with friends and family, discussing the come follow me um, together and talking about what you have found interesting and those types of things, that is going to help you get more from the scriptures um, than than possibly anything else. Sharing the gospel is always a wonderful, a wonderful opportunity to grow in um, spirituality and in our our confidence before the Lord. Um, so, I encourage you to do that. Uh, like I like I've said in the past, not because I'm trying to get more listens or anything like that necessarily. I I don't read any ads. I don't. I try not to allow any ads on my on my podcast just because I don't want it to be um, about the money. It's not about the money. It's about sharing the gospel. And as I've said in the past, none of these things are um, sponsored or affiliated or the positions of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, These are merely my opinions and my extrapolations from some sources that they have put out. So, anyways, with all of that behind us, um as again also as usual um i've got the email i'll put the email down in, in the in the episode description if you have any questions comments or just want to say hi go ahead and feel free to shoot me an email i'd be happy to talk to you all right so we got to chapter two we got through chapter two last time i was hoping to get through th- chapter three so we have a little bit of ground to cover <clears throat> but like i've said uh, we loosely follow the Come Follow Me uh, outline. So um, let's go ahead and start with a prayer like we always do. Um, our dear Heavenly Father, we come before Thee as Thy humble servants, and we we seek Thy guidance in the Scriptures. We are grateful for the many opportunities and blessings that thou hast given unto us. We thank thee for our gifts and our talents that we have, that we have been given, and the uniqueness of our lives. Father, we ask thee to please give us the strength and the courage to see our trials through and to know what directions we should go and how we might be a blessing to those around us. Father, we ask Thee to please bless us as we study these scriptures. Help us to find the guidance that we seek. Help us to see how we can apply it to our lives and how we can change our lives for the better. Father, please forgive us of our sins and help us to come closer to Thee. And we pray for these things ever so humbly. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so chapter three, 
chapter three, chapter three. So the whole, um, like we've talked about last time, the whole book of Hosea is um, a lot of analogy. It's a lot of um, uh, a lot of metaphors, as well as the very possible um, intertwining of the actual life events of Hosea and his potentially real wife Gomer. Um, we don't, we don't know. We don't know if she was real. We don't know any of that, but, um, here we go. So chapter three, um, so let's jump right in. And it just kind of continues on with the story of, um, Hosea and Gomer. Then said the Lord unto me, go yet love a woman, love a woman beloved of her friends, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who looked, who looked to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver and for an omer of barley and half om- and for a half and half omer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days, thou shalt not play the harlot, thou shalt not for an- thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. So if we jump back to the Old Testament pseudomanual in section ten eight, um in the first of the third chapters of Hosea, the Lord commands his prophet to marry. Scholars disagree on whether these represent two separate marriages or the same one. Either way, they, they were an effective means for the Lord to teach the people of his own relationship with faithless Israel. For the beginning, from the beginning, Israel played the part of the harlot, even after entering into covenants of obedience and faithfulness to the Lord as a married spouse, she forsook her husband, the Lord the Lord, and went, went whoring after idol, idol gods. Kiel and Deep Delich, sorry about that, write, the price paid is not to be regarded as purchase money, for which the wife was obtained from her parents, for it cannot be shown that the custom of purchasing a bride fr- from her parents had any existence among the Israelites. It was rather the marriage present, which a bridegroom gave not to the parents, but to the bride herself as soon as her consent had been obtained. Through, through paying this price, Hosea, symbolizing the Lord, was able to place Israel beyond her former consorts and receive her back as his own. In verse 2, the price of redeeming the woman spoke of in one verse, spoke, spoken of in one verse, Kiel and Delich write that it is very natural supposition that at the time an ephah of barley was worth a shekel, in which case the whole price would just amount to, to that sum of which, according to EXXI32, I don't know what that means, it was possible to purchase a slave. Um, oh, maybe it's Exodus chapters, chapter 21, verse 32. According to Exodus chapter 1, chapter 21, verse 32, it was possible to purchase a slave and, as, and was paid half in money and half in barley. The circumstance of the prophet gave no more, no more for the wife than the amount of which a slave could be obtained, and that this amount was not even paid in money, but half of it in barley, a kind of food so generally despised throughout, throughout antiquity, was intended to depict still more strikingly the, the deeply depressing condition of the woman. If the woman was satisfied with fifteen shekels and fifteen ephahs of barley, she must have been in a deep state of very deep distress. When one considers Gomer as symbolic of Israel, the purchase price implies that Israel's freedoms had been or would be lost, and in addition she suffered the slavery of sin, 
which also requires the purchase price before Israel can be reconciled with her Savior. Hosea desired to be purchased to be per- desired to purchase his wife from slavery, just as Heavenly Father seeks after his children to redeem them from Satan's power with the blood of his Son Jesus Christ. So that to me is fairly powerful. We start we start off with okay, I the Lord commanded Hosea to go get a wife. Hosea goes and he goes to to wherever uh, he said, it says a woman that was well loved by her friends but was seen by the rest of the world as a harlot. So she was she was um agreeable enough. She was a very kind person. She was someone that she had the right things in her, so to speak. She she was a good person in her heart, but she was doing bad things, things that had pulled her far away from the Lord, that had put her in a place that she was among the lowest of the low. And so when Hosea went and to, went to purchase her, to pull her up from slavery, he could have paid more. He could have paid, you know, whatever price. But the, but what he felt was a fair price was the price of a slave. And not only the price of a slave, but half of that price in a type of food that most people didn't want to eat. And she was still willing to say, okay, I, I need... I am I am at such a low point that I need this help in my life. And like it says here at the end, once you realize that this is supposed to represent us and our relationship to God, it makes us stop and think. Moses himself, after seeing God, said, Now I know that I am nothing, which thing I never had supposed before. The power and awe and the difference in glory between us and our God who diligently seeks to save us is immense. We in our mortal state are wretched sinful broken creatures Each of us has some burden we carry in our lives, some hurt, some thorn in the flesh that we carry with us. And at some point, if we have been running from the Lord, we will be broken down and beat down to the point where we are low in the dust. And the Lord will come to us and will say, I'm only going to pay for you what you're worth in this moment. But if you come with me, I will make you more. Hosea paid the price of a slave for Gomer. But then he married her and made her his bride. He raised her up from a harlot in the dirt and the dust 
worth nothing more than unbearable food and a few dollars, perhaps, raised her up and made her his equal, or tried to. He tells her, as he continues on, And I said unto her, Thou shalt, thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for other, for other men. So will I also be for thee. He tells her, You're going to stop playing the harlot. You're going to stop doing this. We are going to be one. We will be for each other. We will be the only ones we need. You keep your eye single to the glory of God, and the glory of God will be focused upon you like a tight laser beam. God says here, Thou shalt not be for another man. Thou shalt not be for any other God, for any other thing, for any other aspect in your life. That's the most important. Thou shalt not be for any other man, and so will I also be for thee. If you want the undivided attention of God, God requires your undivided attention. There was a saying my mission president used to say, when you're saying your prayers, you're not going to get a million dollar answer for a 10 cent prayer. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return, and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. <clears throat> God's telling us, times are going to get hard. There's going to be this time when the children of Israel will, will lose the way. They'll be lost. They will go back to their old ways. They will forget God. God knows it. He knows how weak we are. Until they will return. After they go through this hardship, after you stumble out there and around and find out there's really nothing all that much better, then will you return. <clears throat> Over in chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land, by swearing and lying and, kill, and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. And should we look at the foot, footnote? Bloodshed leads to bloodshed. There's murder and there's just rampant destruction. Therefore shall, therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another, for thy people are as they that strive with the priest. They shall 
Therefore shalt, shalt thou fall in the, in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. The Lord is trying to explain the wickedness that's going on, or that will go on. That wickedness never was happiness, as Alma teaches his sons. Wickedness will always lead to pain and sorrow. And he compares, he says, you have, you have lowered yourselves. You have lowered yourselves down on the same field as the animals and the beasts of the field. And you die in the fields and wallow out there like, like livestock. The fowls of the air come and pick your bones. That's a, that's a sentiment I hear often in today's world, that we are, we are just animals. We're on the same level as animals. We're no better than they are. We're just we're actually worse because we're more destructive to the planet. We're we're worse because we kill each other. We're well, animals kill each other. Animals don't care about the planet all that much either. I don't think. Maybe some do. I don't know. I haven't talked to them. But the point of the matter is, it's not true. We're not just animals. God has bought us with a price. Has striven, is striving, and will continue to strive. To make us his sons, his daughters, his kings, his priests, his queens, his priestesses. Because it is his utmost desire to raise us up from this carnal state that we live in. And if we will but turn to him, we can gain that. We can have access to that. But otherwise, the other path he's trying to tell us lies pain and sorrow. You may have, you may have happiness in the moment in your sin. But it all turns to ash. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore I will change their glory to shame. They eat up the sin of my people, and they set their heart on their iniquity, and they shall be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and reward them their doings. For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed from the Lord. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. This whole chapter is just talking about the futility that we often find ourselves in when we go whoring after other gods, when we go looking in other places for joy. All of it will be hollow. All of it will not satisfy. It doesn't matter how often you change things. 
couldn't be comparable, in my opinion, to fast food a little bit. And trust me, I, I love some fast food. I think fast food is really good. That first bite is generally the best. When you're just pulling out of the drive-thru, you reach over, you either grab your hamburger or your french fries, and you start taking a few bites. Oh, it's good. It's really good. But each subsequent bite tastes a little less good, a little less good, until you're done eating and it's afterwards and you don't feel so good anymore now and you don't, uh, it's not, not you, you think about how much money you spent on it and it wasn't really worth it and the food is gone and now you don't feel so good and not too much later you're probably either going to be hungry or you're going to feel like you ate a brick. And the only way to get that enjoyment again is to go get more somewhere else go somewhere else get get some more spend some more money it's the same thing with the things of the world you'll find enjoyment for a small while but then the grass starts looking greener over here and so you jump over there and oh that that was that was fun and then you start getting bored and oh, I really want to switch over to here and I want to come over here and I want to do this and oh, that's not that's not about that fun. Let's jump over here, let's do this over here. Every if you're if you're running from problems, you can't run fast enough, I'm afraid. Trials and tribulations are the lot of man. It is our lot to learn to handle problems. We are to become problem solvers, peacemakers. We are to become the meek, the, the pleasant, the those who help build up the world. I don't imagine that God woke up one morning, looked out his window, and saw the utter chaos of the universe. The giant mess that it was, flailing and falling in unorganized matter. Pieces and shards and raw energy, destructive and powerful. Almost useless. I don't imagine at that point God shut the curtain and said, That's a. Someone should take care of that. To become like our Father, we must be willing to step into a problem and organize it, and organize it properly. And we ourselves cannot do that. We are very inexperienced. We are but babes in the realm of the eternal. True joy, true fulfillment can come only by doing that which the Lord has set down for us. Our soul yearns, yearns to do that thing which God has given us. Maybe it is to be mothers, maybe it is to be fathers. Maybe it is to teach or to be taught. Maybe it is to heal or to bless. Maybe it's to go around and spread good news. Maybe it's to go around and play music 
that other people might feel the Spirit. Maybe it's to labor diligently and build up things so that people can have wondrous places. We have each been given our gifts. We know those gifts. And if we don't know, the Lord is more than happy to help us, to help us find them. He has purchased us with his own blood, with his own price. God has bound us. He has bound himself to us and is pleading for us to bind us to him that thereby the links might be united and we might become who he wants us to be. Hosea continually pleads with Gomer, please come back to me. Don't go out there anymore. There's nothing for you. Your going out to sleep with men or a little bit of money who will lay down with you, use you, and then walk away. They have what they wanted, and they're done with you, and it leaves you feeling empty and hopeless. The world today tells us that there can be no joy found in the old ways, in scripture, in religion, in the family, in settling down and doing what the Lord has set forth for us, in doing good hard work. It's all about life hacks, quick fixes. How can you make make a million dollars this year or this summer if you just go out and, and you, you do the right things and just use these, these ten simple tricks? Trust me, I know the game. I've been beguiled a few times and wanted and been very interested. How do you do this? I can tell you that once they have your money, once they have what they wanted from you, they'll use you, and in the morning they'll be gone, and you'll be left feeling helpless and lonely. All the while, God is calling to you, come home. Come home to where you know the truth, where you know the correct way. They continue through chapter 4 describing the desolations that come and what will happen to Israel and to Judah as they pursue wickedness. In chapter 5 they continue, Hear ye this, O priests, and hearken, ye house of Israel, and give ye ear, O house of the king, for judgment is toward you, because ye have been a snare on Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor, and the revolters are profound to make slaughter, though I have been a rebuker of them all. I know, Ephraim, and Israel is not hid from me. For now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredoms, and Israel is defiled. They will not frame their doings 
to turn unto their God. For their spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall I, Israel, and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. They shall go with their flocks, with their herds to seek the Lord. But they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have they have begotten strange children. Now shall a moth now shall a month devour them with their portions. And he continues. God lays it out for them. And he says, you, you continue to seek after these things. And in times past, for <clears throat> my prophet Elijah and Elisha, I was able to draw out meager amounts of food. A portion of a month would last years. The food that would normally last you, because of your righteousness, I could bless you and I could draw it out and I could sustain you. I would fight your battles. I would be there for you. I would go out and I would, I would rebuke those that would, that would seek to come and do thee harm. I was there for you. But now ye seek to go against me. Ye have gone out and found other gods. And then when times get hard, you come back and you think that I will sustain you when you have not kept the covenant, when you have not done those things. Don't get me wrong. God is willing to forgive us of our sins. But how many times has the, have the scriptures said that the Lord will be slow to hear our cries? He'll hear them. He never said he won't hear them, but he's going to be slow. He's going to let us think about it for a while. Israel was not utterly destroyed in either their exodus from Egypt or when the Babylonians came and took over. They weren't entirely destroyed, and those who were willing to listen had chances to escape. Lehi and his family are a good, are a good example. They left and were not and were and were actually great, greatly blessed. They had a new land given to them. How many other peoples like that were there? We don't know. God is willing to bless those who are righteous and maintain their righteousness despite the wickedness that goes on around them. But if we persist in our wickedness and when hard times come upon us, we should expect to pay a price. Perhaps God will be merciful and not subject us to the full price, but we will be expected to pay a price. And we might look at somebody who has done wicked things and say, well, they, they haven't paid their price. Don't start that. You are not their God. Leave their price, leave their punishment between them and God. They might be someone who goes home at night and cries themselves to sleep because of the pain that they feel every day.
It is not for us to decide. Here in the end of chapter 5, when Ephraim saw his sickness, and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian, and sent to, and sent to King Jerob, yet could, not, yet could he not heal you, nor cure, cure you of your wound. For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah, I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away, and none shall rescue him. I will go and return to my place, till they acknowledge their offense, and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. In their affliction they will seek me early. God's playing on something here that he knows will be of great benefit to us. I don't know how often God creates issue, creates problems that will bring about trial and tribulation for us so that, we, so that we will remember him. Or how often through our negligence of God, God is unable to protect us from such events. I don't know the balance there. I think that would be something that you should talk to God about yourself. The fact of the matter is that God knows that oftentimes if we get beat up a little bit, we'll come back. And so if we leave, if we leave the house of our God and go after other gods to find other more joyous pleasures that we can make money and, and revel and enjoy our wonders of this world, God tells us, I will sit and I will wait at home. Like the father of the prodigal son, I will sit on the porch and I will wait for thee. I will watch for thee every day. And I will wait with broken heart. Like the, like the husbandman or the, the, the planter of the olive trees in Jacob 5. I wonder how often God has sat on the porch and cried aloud to those who sit with him, What more could I have done for my vineyard? What more could I have done to try and help them see that I am the only way, that I am the way for them to find peace? All too often God waits for us, and oftentimes for each of us he is still waiting for us to draw nearer, to come a little closer, to more trust in him, to come closer and closer until we are once again in his embrace. The Lord is waiting. He is waiting for us. He is waiting for you. He is waiting for me. Now is the time to prepare to meet God. How sad would it be if we wasted all this time in things that don't matter?
I testify of the power of God, the power of forgiveness, the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ, the power of our Lord and Savior. I testify that though our skin, our sins be as scarlet, they can be made as white as snow. If we will but labor with our Lord diligently. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.